inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. This morning we have Dr. Ron Hayes, one of the co-founders of Banyan Biomarkers with us. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. So, Ron, before we start talking about Banyan Biomarkers and, and what a biomarker is and what it does, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you from? Where'd you grow up? And how did you decide to become a scientist? I grew up in uh, Richmond, Virginia in the 50s. At the time, it was a quite uh, conservative town, uh, somewhat isolated, really, a classic vision of the Old South. My undergraduate major at the University of Richmond was classical languages, and uh, then I did some graduate work in philosophy. So it's surprising sometimes to find myself uh, here today. But if we want to elaborate at some point, I think it's been a benefit for me to have a liberal education. Tell us a little bit about what you're like as a kid. Were you very curious, sort of interested in everything? And when did you sort of know you wanted to gravitate towards a scientific field? As a kid, I didn't know. I read voraciously wasn't uh, much of a sports person, I, I, although I ultimately ended up playing competitive tennis later in life. But that, at that time, I was uh, really quite focused on reading. Really? Okay. Did you have a, a, a teacher that stood out, or, or were either of your parents, so what, what did they do? Were they scientists, engineers, doctors? No, I was the first person in my family to go to college. They, they encouraged reading. Uh, they uh, certainly liked to see me do it, but uh, as I reflect, it was sort of a self-taught environment, and I read anything put in front of me. Tell us a little bit now, uh, let's talk about biomarkers. Uh, for folks who don't know what that means, what is a biomarker? How does it work? It's an indicator of uh, the organic state of an individual or an animal that provides in, in a medical situation information on the health or the disease state of the person. And a biomarker can be a variety of different things. It could be information from the blood, such as we use in, in, in our technology, or it could be an image of the body. It could be a, a recording of bodily activity, such as a heart rate. But any of these things collectively are referred to as biomarkers, and they're used to assist in the diagnosis of health and disease. So in, in the case of Banyan biomarkers, you've come up with a specific use here dealing with traumatic brain injury. Explain how the biomarker in that instance works or uh, indicates what you want it to indicate. I think the best uh, analogy would probably be a heart attack. Okay. So all of us today, I think, can understand if we have very severe chest pain and persistent chest pain, we'll go to an emergency room, and the first thing they'll do is draw blood, and they'll look at the level of a protein in the blood called troponin, but it happens to be a protein that's in muscle cells of hearts. 
And if the muscle cells are injured or dying, of course, that protein escapes into the blood. And if there's a lot of it, you know you're having a heart attack. In many ways, it's a similar process for the brain. If the brain's injured and, and brain cells, neurons or supportive cells called glia are injured or dying, they shed proteins that can show up in the blood. For a long time, people didn't believe that was possible. There was a blood-brain barrier that uh, whatever went on in the brain stayed in the brain, but our research helped discount that prejudice. So we measure those proteins in the brain. If they're elevated, you have some form of brain injury, in this case, traumatic brain injury. So is the real breakthrough here the fact that we can do that now through blood as opposed to, I guess an MRI would be the next best way of diagnosing a traumatic brain injury, is that correct? In essence, yes. I mean, it was uh, a violation of orthodoxy that in some ways had prevented people from just doing it. And it's far cheaper, a blood test obviously is far cheaper than what's called a, a computerized tomographic scan or a CT scan or an even more expensive MRI. In fact, magnetic resonance imaging isn't used in clinical practice. It's primarily uh, in acute clinical care. It's primarily a diagnostic tool reserved for neurodegeneration or elective processes. But if you show up in an ER, you'll get a CT scan, not an MRI. So I'm guessing there's a, there's a whole range of applications out there in which you might have some sort of brain injury, but it would simply be too complicated, costly, complex to actually do a CT or MRI. Is that really uh, now the main advantage of, of being able to do it by blood? That's uh, one important advantage is that you can triage or you can stage people and tell them whether or not they need a CT. And you really would like to avoid that if possible, for a number of reasons. Avoid the CT. Avoid the CT scan, okay. absolutely, because they're, of course, expensive. They increase the time in, in the emergency rooms, which is always critical. But even more uh, importantly, there's a lot of radiation exposure to CT scans, and you certainly don't want to do that uh, necessarily. Tell me a little bit about the formation of the company. So you, you and, and Nancy, and were others involved in the original invention? Uh, one other founder, Kevin Wang. So after you hit upon the idea or you, you figured out that you could do this, did you just get together and say, hey, let's form a company and see if we can market this? Or tell us a little bit about how that happened. Uh, those kinds of events are sort of like... Uh, a marriage. You know, you never quite know what the precipitating moment was uh, in a long chain that leads to uh, that union. But I would say it was a perfect storm of time and place and people. And I had been asked by NIH to look at a technology related to biomarkers and got interested in it, talked to Nancy Dinslow because she knew a lot more about protein biochemistry than I did, and was also collaborating with Kevin Wang, who had some interesting ideas about brain injury processes. So in that stew, the company was launched. Yeah. Uh, what year was that again, Ron? We formed Banyan in 2002. 2002, okay. And how is it doing now? Do you have big clients or who is buying the process? That's a very interesting story. And I think for young entrepreneurs, I would advise them to be nurtured by their naivete because if they knew what they were doing from conception, they might have been less bold. But Banyan, it took 
which I didn't understand at the time, between but 150 to 200 million dollars to bring a biomarker through the FDA. And we were fortunate. So hold, let me stop. 150, 200 million dollars. Yes. It, wow. And that's chump change compared to a therapy, which is multiple billions of dollars. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with FDA approval process for drugs and pharmaceuticals and treatments, why does it take that long and that much money? That's a, a subject of obvious controversy. And, and when I entered into the process, I entered into it with the same kind of concerns and skepticism that people often bring to the FDA process. That said, having lived through it, a lot of the time is justified. In the process of diagnostics, if you want to generate data that influences potentially a life or death medical decision, you have to be absolutely certain of the technology's performance and reliability. In the case of medical devices, that takes some time. I see. So it, it's not like a, a drug that you have to make sure is uh, safe and won't hurt somebody, but the fact that these tests will be used to make those type of decisions, that's why the FDA steps in and says, we really need to make sure this works. In fact, the FDA uh, has become, I think, at least in my own experience, very responsive the FDA offered and executed an expedited review. So we got a review and feedback in six months on the basis of what they called our breakthrough technology. So that's really not a very long period of time. Ron, your experience in this company, uh, you know, a startup, and it sounds like it's doing well, but as anyone who's done a startup knows, there are good days and there are bad days. Tell us about one of your best or, or best day, and tell us, if you'd like to, one of your worst or the worst day you've had in this experience. There's a term, an image I often invoke. I was a fighter pilot, and we often describe our missions as long periods of boredom punctuated by terror or ecstasy, as the moment may be. So terror. We were meeting... Uh, Short after the company was formed and we had uh, secured some money and we had a consulting CEO who advised us blandly that we were out of money and with no warning and uh, no mea culpa. And so in the, I, in the jet fighter analogy, your, your engines yeah, just so now shut I was, down, I right? Was ready to, well, I was ready to light the burners okay. and uh, blow some stuff up. But it was very, very disconcerting and very discouraging, and we survived it. How did you turn that around? You, went, uh, you had no money, and what happened? How did you keep going? Well, we were very fortunate to get congressional support from the Florida delegations, actually, Congressman Bill Young, who's passed away in Tampa, as well as Congressman Stearns, who's no longer here. And we, we got some congressional support through the DOD, which ultimately morphed into sustained support because the Department of Defense really pioneered interest in this technology because of the wars, unfortunately, in Afghanistan. I see, because this is a, a much easier way to assess traumatic brain injury on the battlefield, I, I take it. Yes. And okay. of course, uh, having a CT scanner in a far forward medical environment is right. extremely difficult. At least you could say, get this person back for a CT scan or not. Got it. So Ron, tell us about some of the future applications of uh, the banding biomarkers. Well, there are many applications. I'll focus on one that is particularly uh, close to my heart, and that is assessing in the diagnosis and the treatment of brain injury that occurs during birth. 
During birth. During birth. So this is the kind of injury that can result in cerebral palsy, where at birth, the blood flow to the baby in the brain is interrupted at a very critical period. So the brain is quite vulnerable. This can lead to minimally delayed development and, of course, death to that extreme. My own son aspirated meconium at birth, and he had an event. And, of course, any parent can understand right. uh, confronting that at birth. So by rapid diagnosis from even umbilical cord blood, you can intervene quickly and appropriately. There is, in fact, a treatment where you cool the babies, hypothermia. So you can quickly determine the baby's need and the, whether they're a good candidate for the treatment. I'm working closely with a very dedicated neonatologist at the University of Florida, Dr. Mike Weiss, who's done a marvelous job of leading this effort. So absent the using the biomarkers, Ron, if I understand it correctly, would the brain injury go undetected until later? Um, because are there no necessarily obvious signs uh, of that event? There are signs, but it's not as rigorous and as definitive as a blood test. So the blood test would provide a very rapid and definitive test. It's just like a concussion right. and brain injury. The What's called a Glasgow coma scale is quite subjective. You want a hard number quickly. Right. And so and in a blood test, of course, is standard right after the baby is born. So it'd be something that would be picked up in all babies potentially, right? Ultimately, uh, I would look at it as every parent wants to know, is my baby okay? And short of uh, what's called the APGAR test, a very crude test, you don't know that. And of course, you want to know if the brain's okay. So this could be available to every birth once it's, uh, of course, once, FDA approved. Yeah. It could be available. That That is exciting. Yeah. Um, Ron, if, if somebody, a, a young scientist or entrepreneur came to you and said, I've got this brilliant idea and I'm going to form a company and I hit the big time, what would your advice be to that person? Don't do it for money. I think that's a huge mistake that people make, of course, very broadly in life, but most conspicuously in startups. I mean, people labor, I think, under the illusions of IT. I'm going to make a What's Up Dude app and make a billion dollars and rock star. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think it takes a good deal uh, more maturity and uh, willingness to give up ego and a commitment to whatever you're doing that's deeply rooted in your own sense of purpose. Excellent words of advice. Uh, Ron, thank you very much for joining us this morning on Radio Cade. Thank you. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida, for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song, featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.